0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar podcast. Uh, We're entering the final quarter of what has been an extremely tumultuous year in the investment market uh, and also around six months, maybe just a bit over six months since the pandemic first took hold of the markets, sent them into a tailspin at the end of March, so probably a good time to look back at how things have changed since then and, and where we are now. Joining me as usual my co-host Angus Foote, and our data analysts, uh, Supremos, uh, Nisha Long and Frank Talbot. Uh, welcome to you all. Uh, Frank, let's start with you because uh, you're, I believe, going to talk about fund flows so far this year, which I guess tell a story in, as, uh, you know, in every detail as, as great as uh, what's happened to the markets themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So looking at Looking at flows uh, year to the end of August, uh, it's always interesting to see where the money's going. People always like this. We're uh, looking at usage funds globally. Um, it'll be little surprise to anyone that the biggest winners here a global large cap growth took in 25 billion US dollars year to the end of August, and technology funds, which took in 21 billion this year. That, that tech sector compares with just 3 billion net inflows the year before. So, in case you weren't already, you know, startlingly aware of this, there is a lot of money chasing this one theme, because if you think about the fact that global large cap growth is effectively a proxy for tech stocks anyway, given where they've gone to on the quality spectrum, then it's a scale that, you know, I can't recall ever seeing in terms of flows, just chasing one idea or the one idea is probably putting it mildly, but that's just the scale of cash going into tech. Uh, and e-commerce. Um, in terms of the biggest winners within large cap growth, it's the Morgan Stanley Fund, which I've spoken about before, uh, led by AA-rated Christian Hugh. He's brought in $3 billion alone this year into the, the Global Opportunities Fund they run. Um, also in that category, uh, Rubico's Global Consumer Trends Fund, uh, run by AAA-rated Jack Neal and Richard Speetians, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, A fund uh, with a tech e-commerce bias. I don't think we've spoken about it, as I said. Uh, It's naturally done very well, given that it's quite well diversified. And I've spoken about this before. I like finding a well-diversified fund that's shooting the lights out at the moment. And the top 10 holdings occupy just 25% of of the portfolio there. Uh, That's always good to see. Uh, Within tech itself, BlackRock, they've been crushing it here. Uh, You've got the BGF World Technology Fund. It's run by AA-rated Tony Kim taking in a tidy $4.8 billion this year. Uh, that's likely to be quite a large underestimate, given that BlackRock haven't reported flows for July and August, which is quite rare. Um, so I would expect that to continue the pace. Uh, while um, after that's the Polar Tech Fund, $1.7 billion into Ben Rogoff and Nick Evans and Teams'
0: portfolio. Wow. So the obvious question, if all the money is going in there, where is it not going or where is it? escaping
1: from oh do you know what? i hadn't actually prepared that richard but if i if i <laughs> in and have a little look at the uh, at the bottom of the list uh we can see the money coming out of um ultra short-term bonds emerging market debt local currency had about 13 billion out of that use its multi-strategy uh, these big behemoth funds which uh, people part their cash for a while and i guess they feel like they're done with that protection um then diversified bond short-term or use it's long, long, short credit. So a lot of those alt sectors. Um, and then obviously U.S. large cap value, U.S. large cap blend. You know, the U.S. Uh, active management scene is, is a tough place to outperform. It's been in hemorrhaging assets for, for quite some time. Oh. More, more broadly, you know, what's interesting is that in terms of the rest of the sectors, next up, you've got corporate bonds. They've taken in 14 billion. Uh, I'll come back to that in a second. Healthcare's had 10 billion in. Obviously, we know what's going on there. Again, in that situation, we've spoken about Erin Shee a lot. She's taken in 5 billion or so into the BlackRock Health Sciences Fund. Um, and, and what's really interesting is that that's what's going on in XUS. But in, in the US, it's, it's quite, a, quite a contrast. So in Europe, it's fairly well diversified. You've got equity taking the most assets. There's an equity bias in Europe. Um, and there's a smattering of corporate debt sectors. You can contrast that with the US. And it's a total bond fest. You've got the top 10 sectors, all fixed income uh, with a heavy emphasis on high yield. High yield US has taken 25 billion in the US and then core plus bonds are further 20 billion, core bonds, 16 billion. Obviously that's that's massively motivated by the actions that the Fed said it was gonna take, is gonna prop up these markets and support them. Um, But the scale of the allocations are are totally different to to what's going on in Europe with with regards to our our bond fetish. and, and if the, I mean, more interestingly, I think this is changing right now today. So the news coming out of the states this week, as we record it, is that, that we might be at the start of a sea change because there have been some massive redemptions from high yield uh, bond ETFs, uh, billions a day coming out of, of the biggest vehicles from iShares and Spiders, Spider rather, um, and and also the fact that there are no bonds, it's, it's no equity sectors. There's a lot about the state of play in, in the U.S. whereby they massively favour passive allocations to equity markets. That has been the way that they've been shopping for a long time, and it's it's surprising given you know the astonishing rally we've had in in equity sectors. There's not one in the top. I mean, the technology sector is 15th place, you know, in, in terms of inflows, and it's it's minor compared to what's going on in USITs land. Um, so uh, I would expect the wider picture to look very different uh, in September. I think we might start to see a real change. We've seen a sell-off in tech markets. Uh, we we've seen a, a you know a general sort of profit-taking. From the rally itself and then maybe this change within confidence about governments supporting credit markets so that's that's all i have to say quite a lot
0: that's good angus any viewpoint from the selector side why why are fund buyers so different in the states than they are in europe (laughs) just the just the short version
2: yeah yeah all kinds of things are different (laughs) in the states richard i can't i'm not sure i'm i'm not sure i'm qualified to (laughs) To really uh, evaluate the cultural differences, I, I, look. I think the, the markets work differently, don't they? And and there's a different different traditions in terms of where people invest and, uh, and 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 where end client interest lies. But picking up on what Frank was talking about, I think the interesting thing that I see is this change in what asset allocation means. So a lot of the things that Frank talked about really come into the idea of themes. I don't mean thematic investment or funds that are marketed as theme funds. I mean kind of big underlying themes in how people allocate their money. So you know, you talked about large cap growth, tech. You know, you talked about tech, which is tech. You know, as people are thinking. I think professional investors are thinking in terms of these overarching themes. And it's interesting when you talked about the asset classes or the sectors that had seen outflows. They're generally out. Uh, they're generally sectors where there is no specific theme no story yeah there's no story you know and, and i think that's what people are latching onto that it's it doesn't really matter whether you're whether you're looking at you know us large caps or whether you're looking at european equities or whether you're looking at asia pacific people are looking for that theme that runs throughout everything and it's changing the way they allocate between sectors and and i think over time that's going to be more and more reflected in the flows
0: All right so yeah this year the themes have been tech healthcare uh, for obvious reasons, uh, and I guess also, I mean, a lot of these tech firms get away with a nice ESG coating because they're asset light. They, you know, they're not digging up native monuments in in the back end of Australia or or the Middle East. Uh, they do generally get ESG ratings. Everything's got to have an ESG wash about it these days. So, uh, you know. I look in. I look occasionally. Look, I'm very boring. I look at the makeup of ESG indexes, and they're full, filled with Microsoft and Apple and and, uh, and and names like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, ESG gets us into a whole different debate, doesn't it? And probably one for another another time, mm. another place. Uh, uh, what you could argue that some of these tech firms have been very, very good at uh, spinning themselves as you know, you know, do no evil. That stuff still resonates. Uh, and. Yeah. and and sometimes people don't look too far beneath the skin to see whether or not it's really true in terms of what's going on.
0: Yeah, you don't want to find out too much how your, the rare metals in your iPhone are no, stuck out of no. the ground in in uh, in Central Africa and who's digging them. But uh, as you say, that's a story for another day. Uh, so Nisha, Nisha, you're going to focus on the on the bond side, and uh, intriguingly, looking at the ratings. Uh, you know, when we did the podcast in April, it was all you know. All hell was breaking loose in the ratings. People were flying in, people were flying out. Uh, How does this look six months later?
3: Oh, well, um, as you mentioned, you know, it was a bit of a hell for um, fund managers in April. Um, I just want to recap some of the horrible stats that I said to you, well, in April. Um, so they were on a roller coaster ride. And in the April cut cutoff ratings, we lost 932 rated managers, um, resulting from the fallout from the markets. Um, so March really took its toll on the markets. And, you know, went through to the April ratings and bond managers, as you mentioned, um, they were hit the hardest with 524 losing their ratings um, with the active U.S. dollar market um, losing the most rated managers. But. Fast forward to September. You know things have improved. We've seen accommodative um, QE um, programs. The Fed has been, you know, buying up US corporate bonds as well as fallen angels, which are your investment grade. You know, they've fallen into junk status. So you know that was a bold move made made by the Fed in the first place. Anyway, but that has been supportive. Um, Bond managers, you know, they've seen some flows come back in as well. Um, In April, well, April time there was a massive loss in fixed income markets with flows but um, 46 US bond managers have come back into the ratings this month which is great considering most of them lost their ratings and this is due to the uh, rebound and also most of the managers who lost out on returns in Q1 they've made all of their um, returns back in Q2 maybe double or triple the amount they lost in Q1, and that just shows you, you know, how quick the markets are moving, and how important it is to just stay that long-term focus rather than, you know, the short-term focus, because now we're seeing those managers for their three-year um, risk-adjusted performance, you know, coming back into the ratings, and. Just to put it into context, in overall um, numbers, in January, we had around 3,700 rating managers. Now we're back to that level. We're back to 3,738, so a bit more than we started off at the beginning of the year. So markets are, you know, coming back. Managers are coming back, especially while within active management. Um, So it is back to January level. So it's, you know, to keep an eye on, keep with your winners, stay calm. (laughs) You know, things have rebounded. I just wanted to mention two managers, actually, um, which is really I was yeah. So I, Give I us got some names. yeah. I mean, two managers that you know really have that basically they didn't lose their rating at all during this cri- this crisis, and they've held it for the last four years. It's Anil Kataria and Travis King of NN Investment Partners. Um, so they're both triple, uh, sorry, double A rated. And they co-manage a US dollar corporate bond fund, the NNUS Credit Fund, and a US medium term fund, the Voya Investment Grade um, Credit Fund. Um, I just want to talk about what they've done with the NNUS Credit Fund. So as I mentioned with bond managers, in Q1, they lost 3.3% on this fund. But in Q2, they made it up with 10.1% in Q2. And I can see that in Q3 as well, just looking at their figures Numbers will be out tomorrow that you know they have successfully you know um, done well, but they clawed back their returns. Um, and also, I reported in April that they were in the top ten for inflows in April. So people were still very bullish, you know, on this fund coming out of that horrible month of March. And rightly so, because their performance has been very good. Um, three years to the end of August, 22.5% in US dollar terms uh, and a drawdown of just 6%, which I find quite amazing that the drawdown is so low.
0: Any, any well, keys to their success? I mean, yeah, it, you know, it's not just... Don't fight the Fed. You've got to do more than that to get a raise. No, no,
3: uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people have been staying away from banks or whatever, but they've got 22% in banking. And the banks are being held up by the Fed as well. So, you know, they are getting that backup. So they, in their top 10, they've got Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan Chase, Lloyd's TSB in their um, financial bucket, which have all done okay during this crisis. So on the back of that, you know, their balance sheets are good. You know they have got you know the um, the cost of capital and everything is correct on their um, balance sheets. They've also got 12% in consumer non-cyclicals as well, which has also helped um, draw you know ride out um, this um, well the horrible time that these did have. Yep. But uh, what's more important is that they've got 50%. I think we've said this quite a lot of times: 50% in triple B-rated bonds, which are at the you know higher risk end of the investment grade spectrum so they are bordering junk but that's where they're getting their yields from and by being 50 percent in these type in their fund they've reaped the re- rewards you know going into them. yeah so those that's, are my two yeah kings at the moment <laughs> sounds,
0: sounds good so you yeah, know stick to the banks where the fed's got their backs and then go a bit down the quality scale for some for some yield yeah yeah that sounds good uh angus come on in
2: uh, I'd like to flag up uh, an article that Nisha has written for our forthcoming Ratings Radar newsletter, plug for the newsletter, going out later this week. Nisha, you highlighted the fact that there were a very high percentage of rated managers this month in US small and mid-caps, which I found really interesting because uh, I think also, correct me if I'm wrong, the dispersion of returns in that sector was also very wide. Uh, Now, those kinds of things... I find massively reassuring for my audience because they really tell us why fund selection is necessary. And it also links to my previous point broadly about asset allocation in that you can allocate to U.S. large caps and you get the U.S. market. But if you allocate to U.S. small and mid, then you might not get much at all if you don't pick the right manager.
3: Yeah, it's a stock picking market completely. The small and mid caps anywhere you look, even in the U.K. and U.S. especially, um, as you mentioned before everyone is going towards um your passive in the large cap space um there's no to be brutally honest it's probably no point in going active in that space because you have all your behemoth you know the fang stocks um which have done well and you would have made a lot of money you know this year but in the small cap uh, smaller medium cap space it really is having to um know the companies that you are investing in uh, meeting them um and really, knowing there's not as lot as analyst coverage than a large cap, um, mm. so more analysts are covering you know large cap um, companies compared to a smaller cap. Um, it, U.S. is good um, in the coverage, but obviously there are a lot of hidden gems to be found. And the top managers I do mention, you know, in the newsletter, the AAA rated managers they are way off their benchmark. Well, their assigned benchmarks, you know, eighty to ninety percent off benchmark positions. And that's where they're getting, you know, most of that alpha from.
2: But it's that gap between the top and the bottom in that sector that says to me, this is why we need professional fund selection.
3: Yeah, absolutely, definitely do. It's a whittling out that bottom.
0: Yeah. So you need you need proper fund managers and proper fund selectors. Absolutely, uh, everybody
2: needs to do their job properly.
1: Nisha, yeah. didn't didn't you also mention? Uh, I heard you the other day saying that UK equity managers have also outperformed.
3: Chipping yes in. they have. Um so uh, UK all cap managers um they've done really well out of this uh another well a p- little plug for me. I am writing an article on this which should be on the Citywide selected website next week. Um so um UK all cap managers more right. than 70% have actually outperformed in the last 6 months alone. Um compared to this time last year um taking that same period it was about say 20 to 30%. So they've really outshone you know, this time. Um, And that just shows you that, you know, it's the active management that is coming through at the moment. Um, Massive plug for active management. The the passive markets, as I said, it's just following the market and everything's falling at the same time. But if you are off benchmark positions, just to mention Bailey Gifford, for example, one of their funds, um, which is one of the best performing over that six month period, is more than 80%, has 80% active share. You know, so off benchmark positions and quite unusual for, you know, a UK fund to have so much off benchmark positions.
1: It's, so, I mean, some some of that, though, is the dam- damage limitation. UK equities has been a pretty terrible place to have your money uh, in recent times. You know, it's it's I mean, it's down massively this year. It's probably one one of, if not the worst uh, developed equity market uh, year to date. I thought obviously, a lot of that's Brexit concerns that are hanging over the markets and maybe the active managers. Were finally positioned for for the for the bad news. You know they, they haven't dealt with Brexit particularly well. It's historically quite a good sector for outperformance. Uh, yeah, they but a great sort of three year run. You can usually pick pick a few good names there. But, um, but the reason-
0: index, you know, the index uh, is so weighted to financials and oil. Uh, you know, and bank bank equities have had a lousy year. I think bank bonds might have done well for your managers in the states, Nisha, but uh, bank stocks have done pretty badly. Energy stocks have done Really badly, for obvious reasons.
2: We, um, we, had a, we do a weekly call with all our international editors, and uh, last week there was some discussion about European tech companies, and uh, one of our U.S. editors said, do you have any tech in Europe?
0: Well, it's a good point. I, I don't know if you... I mean, we're going slightly off topic here, but it's quite interesting. Daniel Ek, the founder of Spotify, is, is pumping a billion euros into uh, what he called moonshots. Sorry, I know that's a word we should avoid. Uh, in Europe, because he 's fed up of so many European founders uh, building up big companies and then either and selling out too early. And none of these get to market. He took Spotify to market it 's been a huge stock market success, but you know other European companies just you know uh, I think the founders say well i 'll be worth six hundred million if I sell out to this private equity house or this american company what's what 's too shabby about that? he wants to see these companies grow as big as spotify so you know to the americans point yeah what what companies have you got listed and there's, there's not that many so uh yeah let's 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 see them come uh yeah i was listening to a good podcast this morning obviously not as good as this one about uh, about that there is a lot of fine european uh tech companies and startups but very few of them become publicly traded uh, so
1: is uh, the one that a lot of people holding in europe it's it's the biggie the software company uh and which one's um, that sap sap yeah it's in it's in a lot of people's portfolios I and mean, we've yeah. got certainly got some tech you can see with the the, the potential merger of uh nvidia and arm That the uh, arm is a uk-based chip manufacturer you know they're still desirable but certainly out of the game uh, in terms of the big players
0: yeah yeah cool well that was a a, a, a uh An interesting turn from uh, bond fund flows to European tech stocks that never make to the stock market, but I think it was fun while it was doing it. Uh, As I've mentioned several times there, there is a Racing's Radar newsletter coming out featuring uh, several articles, most of them written by Nisa, so we look forward to that. Uh, And you can uh, can get that very soon as well. Uh, And after that, I think it's time to wrap up and say... Thank you very much to Angus, Frank, and Nisha for joining me today. And we will be back in a fortnight with the next edition.